You are now listening to the Think 180 podcast from Inc. 180 Ministries in Chicago, Illinois. Hello and welcome. Please stand by. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what this world is coming to. Yes, the rhythm, the rebel. Without a pause, I'm lowering my level. The hard drama, will you never been them in? You want styling? You know it's time again. T, the enemy, telling you to hear it. They praise the music, it's time to play the lyrics. Some say no to the album, the show. Bum rush the sound. I made a year ago, I guess you know. You guess I'm just a radical. Not on sabbatical, yes, to make it critical. The only part of your body should be part of it too. Thank you for listening. This is Chris Baker from Inc. 180 Ministries in Oswego, Illinois. Joined this morning, as always, with Kyle, by Kyle Craning. Getting everything back on track. We've been gone for a couple weeks, and this is uh, episode nine of the Think 180 podcast. We uh, we're clearly coming into fall here because everybody's getting sick. So we we're dealing with some illness, and I was in Phoenix last weekend, so it was. Uh, Good to get back this morning and get things set up and, and get rolling with episode nine. A lot of things have happened since uh, since we last recorded. Uh, a lot of madness, a lot of craziness. Charlottesville, we're going to talk about that uh, in a minute. We're also going to talk about, of course, uh, all the, the tragic situation down in Texas with Hurricane Harvey. We'll talk a little bit about my trip to Phoenix last week and... and uh, Getting ready to do a sermon at my church tomorrow, so it's been a pretty crazy last couple of weeks. But uh, I guess we're going to kick it off with uh, the the madness, I guess, that ensued a couple weeks ago in uh, Charlottesville with the uh, the alt right folks and the Nazis and the white supremacists marching. And you know, I I don't ever talk about politics, but I think I'm going to have to kind of slip into that a little bit today. Uh, Here's the thing that I want to say before I get into it. You might have some opinions that vary from mine, and that's okay. You know why? Because I respect your right to your speech, and I respect your right to your opinions. And that's all this is, is me giving you my opinion. Um, but this is um, something. I, it's probably a good thing that that we took a couple weeks off before we talked about this, because I was I was talking to Kyle when when it kind of jumped off and when the, this madness happened, and I was pretty angry. Uh, that's why we, we decided to throw Public Enemy on there. I, I grew up listening to Public Enemy as a teenager, and it kind of defined my my youth. You know, I was kind of trying to search who I was and what I believed in and, and what was important to me. And you know, I grew up in Los Angeles, and I saw a lot of racist stuff going on. I saw um, a lot of skinheads. I saw a lot of neo-nazi stuff going on out there i saw a lot of really racist cops and again disclaimer cops don't be offended i love my cops i love my good cops but you know as well as anybody there's some really bad ones out there too so growing up in la lapd late 80s early 90s you know nwa didn't write f the police for no reason you know it was uh Stuff that we were surrounded with, what was going on, and, and the the weird thing about it was, I was never really a, any kind of a victim to it. I was a white kid, you know, and 
Um, but what I did see was a lot of my friends that were, were black and Hispanic and Asian, they dealt with it full force. And, um, you know, obviously from the cops, the skinheads, the skinheads in Southern California were horrific. Um, you know, and then you had, you throw the biker gangs into the mix with the hell's angels and the, the Mongols and all those guys out there. There was a lot of really heavy stuff going on. One of the things that I guess really kind of bothered me to hear when this whole thing happened in, in Charlottesville a couple of weeks ago. And of course the, the tragedy, uh, and loss of life, um, people were trying to say, Oh, well, you know, this racism is boiling over in this country. Guys, racism has been boiled over in the country. It's not new. Um, you know, whatever your beliefs are or whatever your uh, opinion on the president is, he's, he's a pretty outspoken guy. He's a very outspoken guy, and he kind of speaks his mind, and he has kind of aligned himself with some not-so-savory folks. Mm-hmm. And um, I think... You know, I don't think this was his intention necessarily, but I think a lot of these alt-right, ultra, uh, radical, racist rednecks that we have in this country, I think they've kind of seen him and said, oh, well, it's okay now for us to say what we've been saying underground for years. Mm-hmm. And they're using him as their kind of their scapegoat as well. But... um you know, there was a lot of things tied to that. Um, you know, a lot of people came out and criticized the president for not speaking out sooner uh, about the tragedy. And I was one of those people, too. Um, I, I, <laughs> I was so mad. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to say. I mean, I, I couldn't even think clearly about it. Um, but f- what reason are these people coming out of the woodwork now and they feel they've got this they're a little more brave now and they're a little, they're a lot more brazen. They've been kind of under the rug for a while. They were pretty predominant in the late eighties and the early part of the nineties. And then a lot of, you know, like Metzger got thrown in prison. A lot of them got thrown in prison. Um, a lot of them are getting out of prison. That might be another part of the problem. Um, I know that's one of the problems we're seeing with the gangs is people that were gang leaders in the eighties and nineties were, were, locked up and now they're getting out and that's a problem we're seeing with that side too but we need to we we need to do something because we can't we can't have this going on in our country we're we i was thinking we were at the brink of civil war two weeks ago and when i was seeing what i was seeing um i mean it was and it got ridiculous very quickly um if (laughs) Saturday Night Live, I I love Tina Fey from Saturday Night Live, and she did probably one of the best, the best bits she's ever done around this situation. Um, But, you know, I don't know. I mean, the whole thing with the whole issue with tearing down statues and monuments and all that, I don't, you know, I don't see what that big a deal is. You may have a completely different opinion and say, Chris, what are you talking about? You're crazy. That's our history. We have to remember that. I I totally agree with that statement. We do have to remember our history so that we don't repeat it. But having a monument to a racist, I don't think, yeah, I don't see how that's necessarily a good thing either. We we don't need that as a reminder all the time. But um, that that stuff goes... You know, history stuff goes in a museum. Yeah. You put it in a museum. Right. 
Yeah, we have places for it. Yeah. It's almost like some of these statues were put in place, in my opinion, to taunt people. Oh, totally. (laughs) You know, say, hey, Mm -hmm. yeah, um, whatever, we may have lost the war, but we're going to put up all of our our heroes, supposedly, from it. Uh, But one of the things that I saw that I, I don't know, I guess I don't want to say I laughed at it, but kind of rolled my eyes, and I do that a lot. Um, if you know me, you know that. Ask Lisa, she'll tell you. Uh, ESPN is in Virginia doing the Virginia football game today. Today, we're recording this on Saturday, September 2nd, 2017. And today is the official kickoff weekend for college football. Go Irish. And uh, ESPN pulled a commentator from... Um, Broadcasting the the uh, Virginia game today, his name is Robert Lee, and they didn't want that to cause any issues. Robert Robert Lee is an Asian American sports commentator. I mean, like, where do we draw the line? Where do we, you know, where do we look at this stuff? But you know, it'll trigger somebody. It will. It will. Um, but you know, one of the things that we did see come out of this this situation in Charlottesville is some really good conversations. I mean, I've had some great conversations with people about racial diversity and tolerance and acceptance. And, um, you know, my friend Liz Fay here in the area does some great work with high school students, um, give that to give them an outlet to express their, um, their own experiences with racism that they've received and, and dealt with and processed. And, you know, we love that she's doing that uh, as a high school teacher there's some really good things going on, but we're, you know, we're people said for a long time, Oh yeah, we're still a very racially divided country. Duh. Yeah. You don't have to go far uh, to see that. And I mean, we see that every single day in our work. I mean, we're leaving tomorrow morning right after church to head up to Englewood for the, uh, the annual Labor Day block party with mothers against senseless killings. We're going to do a bunch of tattoo removals and take some school supplies to the kids but you you don't have to travel 30 minutes to Chicago's inner city to see how racially divided our country is. I guarantee when I pull off 55 tomorrow in the mobile unit, I will get pulled over by cops and asked why we're there. Uh, because every time we go to Englewood or any part of the inner city of Chicago uh, or any inner city for that matter, we are usually stopped by police, questioned, and they go through our stuff and ask why we're there because they think that we're there to buy drugs. Because why else would a white guy covered in tattoos go to the hood? Uh, well, we go there to, to help people and to love people. And, um, you know, this, this isn't anything new to us. We see this every single time that we go to the city, and it's every week, you know. Um, by the way, please pray for Chicago. This will... It'll probably air after Labor Day, but um, it's, a, it's usually a very violent weekend. In fact, next week, I'm sure we'll, we'll give an update and talk about what happened over Labor Day and definitely talk about the block party because it's always a highlight to the summer. It's a, it's a good thing we love to do. So <clears throat> the bottom line is we just need to, we need to talk to our kids. You know, <laughs> I saw a lot of people putting up quotes from Nelson Mandela. And I think I, I think I even shared it as well. It's talking about how uh, racism and, and hatred are learned behaviors. No, no kid is born to hate people. No, no baby is born and, and has hate in their heart. 
People are taught that. And we need to we need to model the behavior that we want our, our kids and grandkids um, to see. You know, it's it's important. My my grandma is 94 years old. I love her to death. She's an amazing woman, except for one horrible trait. She is racist, as you can imagine. <laughs> and it's, you know, when I talk to, to other family members about it, they're like, well, that's just how she was raised. And I'm like, well. I'm, I'm really happy I wasn't. My mom really stressed that, you know, um, to love everybody the same. We're all the same. We're all equal. And we still need to start doing that. We need, and we need to, to show our kids that, that love. And that's been one of the most um, important lessons for me and, and Lisa in doing any kind of ministry that we've ever done is seeing the effect um, that it has on our kids as well. I mean, Tomorrow, we're, when we go up to uh, to 75th and Stewart in Englewood, we'll have our kids with us. And a lot of people question that. Um, some of my f- good friends question that decision. Why are you taking your kids to the inner city, especially on Labor Day weekend when it's so violent? Um, it's because my kids want to go. My kids want to go and help out. They want to serve. They want to make that a great event for those kids going back to school. And that's in their heart. That's what they want to do. And they want to be able to go and tell their friends, Hey, this is what we did this weekend. And, you know, we met some great new friends and we played ball and, you know, we're singing and having fun and barbecuing together. And, you know, uh, dad removed a bunch of gang tattoos for people and it was a good, good time. You know, it, it's, we don't need to fear people. We, we are a country of people that are coming from different walks of life We've had different circumstances come our way. We've had just different types of things happen in our lives and different circumstances have led us to our current state. So I think it's important for our kids to see that. And I, I would, I would implore you to, to uh, get your kids involved in some way. You know, we take kids from our church to feed my starving children. It's a, it's a great way to help, um, teach them the value of, of service and serving the community and, and serving complete strangers, um, a, a half of, a half of a world away, you know, um, packaging food. Um, we're going to talk about hurricane Harvey. There's numerous ways for people and, and families to get involved in helping people in, in Houston, Texas. And, uh, I guess it's a good segue into what happened down in Houston. We, you know, for a week or so, we kind of knew that was coming, bearing down on Texas. We've got some great friends in the area um, that have lost everything. We've been checking in on people, um, monitoring the events down there. And it was just, it's tragic. Anytime one of these hurricanes comes through, and of course now I, I was watching the news this morning, they're talking about Irma, who's out in the Caribbean right now, about a week away from U.S. hitting U.S. mainland, and it's barren, looking like it um, could take a path to hit Miami. And of course, we have great friends there too, and churches that we've worked with. Um, but one of the most alarming and and terrible statistics I think I heard come out of this, of course, besides the the loss of life and the injuries, is that eighty percent of people in the flood area in Houston did not have flood insurance. They've, they've lost, essentially they've lost every possession. Cars are totaled. Um, I, 
I don't exactly remember the stat that they estimated uh, the other day, but they said something to the tune of a hundred thousand cars have been destroyed, like completely destroyed. Um, of course, this is going to have a huge effect on those people's lives for a long time. Businesses have lost everything. So people don't even know if they have a job to go to um, when they can go to it. You know, we, um, we have our, our friends, of course. Um, we, we love Cypress Creek Church um, down in, in Houston. And my friend Carl Etchison does prison ministry down there. Um, and... Cypress Creek, I mean, I posted a video on the Inc. 180 page the other day of the aftermath inside Cypress Creek, and it's it's heartbreaking. Like, I was crying looking at it because it's such a beautiful church. It's such an amazing facility um, with an amazing staff and beautiful people that go to that church that make up that family. And to see it under six, seven feet of water broke my heart. Now, I, I will say I am happy to report that they were able to take a team, like 70 of the people from the church showed up the other day to pump water out of it. Mm-hmm. They they were able to get a lot. They actually have, it's a, it's a really cool facility. It's a, it's part of a community center. Um, and they actually have two sanctuaries because they have a contemporary service and a traditional service. Um, so they kind of go back and forth between the two sanctuaries each Sunday. Um, but one of them, was hit harder than the other. Uh, one of the things that I saw that, that was cool besides the way that everybody came together to help start getting that building back ready for church is that they have like a 90 year old pipe organ. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first things I thought of when right. I heard that it was flooded, that it was going to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. The water got close to it, didn't hit it. Oh really? Did not oh, affect thanks. this pipe organ. I saw that video. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have, guess that it survived no it it was it was uh it was safe um there was no obviously there was no loss of life or everything they they did um cancel their service the day before the hurricane or the day that the hurricane was hitting so there was there were no safety issues everybody was absolutely safe there thank god uh, a lot of them have lost their homes they've lost their cars they've their job they're not sure if they're going to have a job to go to um, they've lost everything except what they were able to throw into a bag and, and get out. So we're very thankful that, um, we are hearing positive stories that things are starting to recede, the water starting to recede. Um, people are starting to be able to get back into their homes. Although I saw a story this morning about a guy that, um, walked into his house and there was a 10 foot alligator oh, in his living room. Big nope. Yeah, no. And snakes, man, if, if you guys know me, you know how I feel about snakes. I won't even go into the, the uh, reptile house at the yeah. Brookfield zoo mm-hmm. because they scare me. There's people that have like water, like 10 foot water moccasins in their house. I'm Ooh. like, good Lord. No, just, I'd be like, uh-uh, I'm done. Hard pass. Yeah. Hard pass. I'm saying no. So, uh, but you know, the, in any tragedy, you know, we, we just got do- done talking about the, the horrific racism and the, the terror that took place. And in, in, my, in my words, what happened in Charlottesville is a terrorist attack, domestic terrorism. And what we saw on the flip side is an extreme outpouring of love in Houston, for Houston, 
people all around the country uh, coming together, just like we did with Katrina. We saw the same thing, you know, in times of, of great tragedy, um, great um, disaster, we see people come together and, and give of themselves to help people. You know, we, we all feel affected. Like we want to do something to help those people because it's such a hopeless, you know, feeling to see people, um, to, you know, hear stories of, of people who were in their cars trying to evacuate and they were drowned because they couldn't get out fast enough or seeing, uh, you know, the, the media has shown us thousands of images of people being rescued, people being lifted off of their roof by a helicopter, uh, people in boats, people from all over the, the South um, showing up there with their, their fishing boats and inflatable boats to help rescue families and to see neighbors come together. And there were people, I, I was watching one thing on, on good morning America the other day. They had, two families, they were direct neighbors right next door to each other. They had never met and they were helping rescue the other one was helping rescue the other family out of their house. Cause they had a boat. They had never talked. They had never hung out. They, you know, maybe said hello in right. passing, but that was it. And, and seeing people come together. Um, I, tomorrow I I'm given the message at church tomorrow. I'm talking about serving and it's, this is, it's, interesting that this has been planned out for a month or so, a couple months. And then all this kind of happened, um, that really made writing my sermon very easy for tomorrow. You know, I wish that people of all faiths would treat each other the way that they do directly after a tragedy and they come together and they help, uh, they put their, they may put their differences in faith and other things aside, but they come together to, to make a difference. And it's unfortunate to me that that only really seems to be a spotlight during a tragedy. Um, I saw something the other night that I'm actually going to use in my message tomorrow. It was, it was pretty cool. Uh, there's a UFC fighter named Derek Lewis and he's from Houston and, and lives there. And he was helping rescue people with a bunch of his family members Derek, Derek Lewis is a big dude. You should Google him. Like I, I would love to have him on my side, um, in anything, but he rescued a guy and he's carrying this guy out of a flood flooded area. And the dude has a Confederate flag tattoo on his arm. (laughs) I was like, come on. Like that's, but that's the thing, you know, it's interesting to me and it's very sad, um, that, we can't treat each other like that all the time. Like why, why do we have to, and, and they talk to the guy and he's that, you know, cause some people will probably listen to this and go cruise Confederate flags, not a racist thing. Okay. This, this guy had connections to the Aryan nation. So, um, I, I watched an interview with the guy. So it, he said it changed a lot of his thoughts on race. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't need to send an email mad at me on that, but we're seeing more and more stuff like that. Um, people need to feel that way and, and treat each other that way all the time and, and interact that way. Hate is a wasted emotion. It really is. It's like, how can you hate somebody you don't even know? 
based on their their race or their their religion or their cultural background or their economic situation. Um, I want to see people treat people the way they are in Houston all the time, uh, all over the country. There was also a lot of stuff going around this week, and I, I kind of debated, Kyle and I talked about this, I mm-hmm. debated whether I was even going to bring it up or not. It might make some of you mad, but um, the whole thing with, with Joel Osteen and his church, people, a lot of people criticized him and his church this week. Um, for not opening their their church facility their church building as a um, safe place for people to go during the the hurricane and man how do I how do I talk about this so I I was one of those people like I I thought you know hey why aren't they opening up that church like why isn't every church that's in a safe area opening up to be a sanctuary for people um, in their in that time of need. And there was a lot of back and forth debate. Um, some people said it wasn't a safe area, that there was in fact flooding. I don't know. Um, there's a lot, he's one of those people that um, people either love him or they hate him. And you know what? I had a really good talk with my pastor about it because I was one of those people that was kind of critical. I was like, man, they should have opened up the church. I posted something on Facebook like, what's he doing? Um, and my pastor, Jeff came in we were sitting down talking about my message for this Sunday and he was helping me out with it and I thought it made me think and he said you know a lot of people whether they like him or not are kind of going at him and people really were people were going after him pretty hard like a hurricane like a hurricane literally I mean they they rained down on him they came after him pretty hard um but the fact of the matter is that they are open they did open um when they said it was safe who knows you know whatever they're doing what they're doing now um but it was pretty pretty strike like jeff's what he said to me was pretty straightforward he's like well everybody that's criticizing him needs to stop and say wait what am i doing you know that's a good point um you know people like to jump at stuff and you know, I was probably wrong for for getting upset about it, but he's a, I don't know, he seems to be kind of like a lightning rod for Christians, you know, people either love him or not. Well, yeah, when you make yourself that big of like a yeah. celebrity, I'm going to use that word. Yeah. I mean, look at the dude's house. It's bigger than, you know, George Clooney's house, Brad Pitt's house. It really is. It's massive. And that's fine. You know, he's built his own success. Sure. But when you're that big of a... <laughs> you know, of a Christian, I want to say fixture, but I mean, when you're that big of a icon, yeah, you know, some people look at him like he's a prophet, really. I mean, which yeah. is, that's all another topic. <laughs> but my thing is if, if you're a Christian and you're more outraged by people criticizing Joel Austin than by Austin actually, um, than what he's actually didn't do then i think you need to look at your priorities yeah like don't be mad at the people criticizing him yeah right i think some of it was due honestly i mean there were people drove by and that lived in that area and took pictures of the facility there were cars parked out front for people actually that worked there probably like administrative type people right in the office but you know they were there people were working and i think he said that he didn't do anything because he wasn't asked yeah 
And what is he? I mean, that's not what he preaches, right? True. Yeah. And it's times like these that give Christians a bad name, gives them a bad rep. hundred percent. Yeah. We've seen it with some other, some other churches down in that area too, that have gotten criticized. I think he, I think he took all that hit on a hundred percent of it just because of who he is and that he is, he is a very wealthy man. And when you can hold 16,000 plus in your building (laughs) alone. um, Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's been interesting to see it. Um, you know, he got interviewed on, he was interviewed on good morning America the other day and I watched it and it was kind of like, he was kind of dancing around it. Mm -hmm. You could see it, but he did say, he's like, we learned a lot from it. And I, you know, I, I would suspect that is definitely a true story. They did definitely learn a lot from it and, Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're doing a lot now. So, and I, I would imagine that based on the criticism he received and his church received that they will kind of be a leader in a lot of the stuff now right. because they want to overcompensate for maybe the, right. the slow reaction. And it's slow funny. Act. One of, there was a really, a really popular viral tweet that was going around that somebody put out and it said, uh, I wasn't asked to give food. I wasn't asked to give shelter. I wasn't asked to help. Uh, so I didn't till I got bad PR. Right. And that's, to your point now that there's all this bad PR out there. And I think he said, you know, that they weren't, their facility wasn't prepared, but I mean, when things like this happen, sometimes, you know, you're not prepared, you know, you try to get as prepared as possible, but it's, it's impossible to be a hundred percent covered. I mean, these people still are still going to lose their home. They're not going to take everything with them. So surely go so far. Well, it was interesting too. a lot of people, um, it's, it's funny. Some of the Trump supporters were like, Oh, it's so great. The president got right down there and, and got to work. I'm like, yeah, he learned from Katrina. Right. Yeah. You know, when you're slow to act, people mm-hmm. jump on it and people will remember that forever. People will remember the, um, the poor reaction to Katrina mm-hmm. uh, and the effect that it had on those people that live there. So yeah, Donald Trump learned from that and he got down there and he's, he's back down there this week and I guess and doing, you know, checking out more of the area, but, um, it, man, I, I'm, I'm heartbroken for Houston because the people there are so, so amazing. They really are great people. Um, and to hear that 80% of them have lost or 80% of the homes that flooded out, um, those folks don't have insurance is heartbreaking to me because how are they going to pay to rebuild that stuff? And FEMA funds have been like grossly depleted from still from Katrina. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're dealing with that right now in Congress. They're talking about it this week on how to help these folks in Houston. And actually the, the flooding that went on in Lake County in Illinois here mm-hmm. depleted a lot of yeah. local stuff that would right. have been sent down to Houston. True. And they, I think they showed that on the news and that was kind of like, oh, wow, that was, was like a month ago, you know? Yeah. But yeah, they were, you know, they didn't have as much that they normally would have. So it's, it's going to take years. It's going to take years to rebuild Houston and we will definitely continue to give updates and, and I'm going to try to get some of our friends from Houston to come on with us sometime here and join the podcast and just kind of give their, their take on the reaction. Cause it's, you know, being, you know, 1500 miles away and watching it on the news is totally different from, from living it. And we have a lot of good friends that lived it and are living it and will continue to live it for some time to come. So, uh, just obviously keep praying for them. We're, 
we're all praying for the whole country and the, I think the world is praying for Houston. So, Oh man, last weekend, last weekend was very interesting. Um, last a week ago, Monday, I was sitting at home with Lisa before I was getting ready to come into the, the facility one morning and get to work. But I saw that, uh, our friends from the Miami tattoo company were going to be out in Phoenix last weekend at um, a tattoo convention, which is one of the biggest tattoo conventions on the West Coast. It's one that I've always wanted to go to, but never made it to. Um, And it's hilarious because it's called the Hell City Tattoo Convention. And I kind of laughed sitting there and I was like, man, I wish I could get down there. And and I've never met a more. A more, if you haven't heard this story before, I'll, I'll tell the brief version, but uh, Amor Sierra called me four four and a half years ago, and she said I just read a uh, an article. She lived down in Miami. She's like I just read an article about a a young girl in Miami that was being trafficked by a pimp, and he tattooed uh, or he put a branded her with a tattoo on her face, uh, on her eyelids. And she said I was so sickened that I started googling stories about tattoo branding in sex trafficking and. A story about Inc. 180 came up, so she read it and and uh, was pretty moved by it and and intrigued by it. So she gave me a call and asked me a bunch of questions about it. And we had a great talk for about an hour. And she said, "I want to open a tattoo shop in Miami, and I want to do like what you do at at Inc. 180 with removing these tattoo brands from these trafficking survivors." And I. It was like, that's awesome, man. Anytime we can get anybody anywhere in the country to do that, we're all about helping out. And and we prayed together on the phone and she called me up like two months later and she's like, I just bought two tattoo shops. <laughs> and uh, she went from like zero to 500 miles an hour overnight. And she does amazing work um, in Miami and South Florida. She has a radio show now uh, every week that she f- talks about trafficking and is this woman's on fire. Um, but we've never met face to face. We talk all the time. We message all the time. And, um, and it's hilarious. We like, I've, there've been a couple of times where I've been close to going down to Miami and then just due to finances and stuff, it didn't work out. Um, and we were trying to meet at other conventions and it just didn't work out. So I, um, uh, I got on Southwest airlines. I'm like, Oh, just, for laughs, you know, how much, how much would it cost me to get down there? I got a round trip down to Phoenix for 140 bucks. Wow. Like I can swing that. Mm-hmm. I can swing that. And my mom and my stepdad just moved down to Phoenix last year. So I had a place to crash. And, uh, so I talked to Lisa and she's like, yeah, you got to go. You have to go. And I was, I was kind of on the fence cause you know, finances are always tight and right. kids are going back to school and, and all this stuff. So she told me, she's like, you know, you have to go. So I, I booked the flight and flew out and the whole flight out there. I mean, I was excited to meet them and everything. And I was excited to go to this convention and talk to other artists and network and talk about, you know, sex trafficking and branding and all that to educate them. But I was still kind of like, oh man, I don't know if I should have done this. I should be working right now. And mm-hmm. so I got there and I, I met, you know, Amor who owns Miami tattoo company. Nick, Luis, Guillermo, all the artists from uh, that were out there from Miami Tattoo Company, and 
we were hanging out. We had a great talk. It was so good to meet all them and, and uh, to finally meet Amor and, you know, give her a hug and, and tell her how proud we are, what they're doing and um, just kind of catch up. And it's, you know, it's one thing having a conversation on the phone, but it's another thing to be sitting there face to face with somebody that you really respect and admire so much. Um, so we did that. We're catching up and um, Luis Castillo as uh, I uh, just a uh, unbelievable tattoo artist all their artists are incredible it was just it was a, a pleasure to to be with them in their booth for the weekend and uh, but Luis was tattooing this this young guy I'm guessing he's I think he's like 24 25 years old young guy it's uh, a motorcycle mechanic works at a, a facility that rents out bikes in South Florida but he flew out there with them to get tattooed at the convention his nickname is Shaggy um <laughs> And it's funny, he looks just like Shaggy oh, yeah. from Scooby-Doo, yeah. Um, but he was sitting there getting tattooed, and Amor had to go and, and get some stuff from their room. There It was the first day of the convention, so they're just kind of still setting everything up. And Luis was doing a tattoo for, for Shaggy, and he was talking to me, and he was telling me kind of a little bit of his background. Um, he had heard about Inc. 180 and what we do from the team there, and we're just kind of going back and forth just chatting while he was getting this tattooed on. I was trying to take his mind off the pain and said, yeah, man, he said, that's pretty interesting. You know, a tattoo, tattoo artists that are Christians. That's really cool. He's, you know, he's like, I believe in a lot of things. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Like, tell me about that. So he starts kind of telling me his story and, um, you know, he had dealt with addiction and he, um, had relapsed, uh, not too long ago, but he was back on track and doing really good. And, he, a lot of things he was saying, he was just, he was seeking faith and he didn't know what that meant. He didn't know what direction, but he knew that he was looking for something. He believed in a higher power. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, you just opened the door for me. Right. So we just, we're talking and I wasn't preaching at him because that's not my style. I mean, if you've, if you've worked with me before in, in the past or gotten a tattoo, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be a, a fire and brimstone preacher soapbox kind of guy. I mean, I'm just going to share faith with you through our conversation um, in a non-threatening kind of welcoming way, you know? And I told him my story and he, uh, he asked a lot of questions about that and it was really cool. I just, I spent like a couple hours, three, two, three hours solid, just sitting there listening to him and, hearing his pain and, and his hope and, and what he's looking for. And, and it was cool because I got to hear kind of the conversations he had had with Amor and other people. And, you know, Amor came back, she finished her errands and she came back and we were still talking. And I had kind of given her an update on what we were talking about. And I said, this, this guy needs somebody local that he can just come and sit and hang with and talk to And I said, you got to be that person. And she of course was all about it. Um, but it was just really cool to, to be able to hear how hopeful he was. And, you know, I think, I think he felt something that day, you know, he, he told me a couple times, I mean, I was there for the, you know, I was there with them for two days and he told me a couple different occasions that he really appreciated it and really appreciated that I took the time to sit and listen to him and talk to him. And that's what serving is really about. It doesn't have anything to do with the whole tattoo removal and the 
of ring tattoos. I mean, yeah, of course it's a little piece of it, but it it's ministry is about how you encounter people, how you listen to people, how you treat them as equals and how you share love with people. Let them know how important they really are. It's not any harder than that. People, people overthink it. Um, I'm going to do my message tomorrow on it. I'll, I'll post the video on the Inc. 180 page so you can check that out uh, if you're not in the area. But <clears throat> people overthink ministry all the time. You know, my, my kids asked me about this whole thing going to Inglewood. They're like, well, what, do we, what can we do there? I'm like, you can do anything you want. If you want to go play basketball with the kids on the court, go good ahead. Luck. Yeah, good <laughs> luck because these five-year-olds smoke me. Right. And, uh, but I'm old, but whatever. Um, you know, you can barbecue. You can play with the little kids. You can just talk to people. And that's what they were most excited about because they've, they've kind of picked that up from spending time around the shop, you know, how we, how we interact with folks that are hurting and, and how we just interact with folks in general. Um, and my kids are so excited to be able to go and do that tomorrow. Um, last year, Mackenzie was with us, our 19 year old and they're, um, she's kind of, we, we joke with her. We call her the baby whisperer. <laughs> she runs the nursery at church and she loves babies. And I love that she doesn't have any, um, <laughs> but she, uh, she got really attached to this, this baby girl last year in Inglewood and she has not stopped talking about seeing these kids and, and being able to play with these kids and just hang out with them again and catch up. But that's what it's all about. That's what ministry is all about. It's not about how much money you give, how many, you know, people you help necessarily. It's, it's about reaching one person at a time in a loving, caring way. That's genuine. And it's not, it's, it's nothing more than that. It really isn't. Um, spending that time with Shaggy was as important for, for me as it was for him. Because when it happened at the end, you know, when we finished up, I, I walked around the convention for a little while and I, as I'm walking through this convention by myself, um, thinking for about an hour, it became very clear to me very quickly why I made that trip. It didn't have anything to do with the tattoo convention. And, um, it had everything to do with that conversation and the conversations that followed, um, in the time that I was there with him. And, you know, um, I know now why I went there. The, the tattoo convention and the seeing my mom and all that stuff was just a side bonus. Um, but there was a purpose for that trip and I'm happy that it happened. And we were really excited because, um, when I was there, a more, asked me, she said, Hey, we're a sponsor for the Puerto Rico tattoo convention in December. Do you guys want to come down and, and tattoo there in our booth? And I was like, heck yeah, man. Anytime you can get out of Chicago in December and go to Puerto Rico, I'm all about that life. So we're, uh, we're excited. We're going to go down there and, and work together with them. And we're going to do a lot of education on sex trafficking and put some materials together there to distribute to other artists and um, just be able to uh, to minister with them in Puerto Rico and do some good work with our team. It's going to be a beautiful thing. So we will uh, we'll definitely have an update. Kyle, I think you should come to Puerto Rico and we'll do the we'll do the podcast from San Juan. So, uh, but side note, it was one of the funny things that kind of came out of that whole thing with Shaggy is he was doing a uh, Luis was doing a, la- a leg sleeve on him from his hip to his ankle. 
this this guy sat there for three days straight, over thirty hours of tattooing, and in my opinion, handled it like a champ. Mm-hmm. Han- definitely handled it way better than I could have because right. um, Nick Sundstrom did a piece on me on my leg that was probably a seven hour piece. We've got a few hours to go on it. We'll finish it in Puerto Rico, but um, I was hurting. I was, I was hurting, man. After like four hours, I was like, ah, man, I don't know. But then I, I look over next to me and Shaggy's got 30 hours going on this leg. And I'm, I'm on, That's tough. but it's a beautiful piece. So check out uh, my, if you're on social media, which of course most of us are in some way, but check out Miami tattoo company and, uh, follow them, follow the work that they're doing too. Cause if, if you love Inc 180, you're going to love what they're doing too. We love them and, and are blessed to have them be a part of this family. So that kind of wraps things up from Phoenix. Uh, it was good to get back. Tyler's band had their first club gig last Sunday night. So I got back just in time for that and they did a great job and got booked for another show. So my son's band is uh, of course called who knows. And, uh, they're they're definitely doing some cool things for a bunch of fifteen year old kids, man. They're really making an impact and make writing music and, and writing some cool stuff. So excited to see what's next for them. Uh, announcements: I'm doing the message at Big Life Community Church tomorrow, um, but I will post a uh, a video of it on the Inc. One Hundred and Eighty Facebook page, so you can check it out if you want to. Talking about serving God, using our gifts, and just different ways that people are doing that, different methods, different ways to get involved. Uh, on September 11th, Monday, September 11th at 7 p.m., Big Life Community Church, located at 197 East Washington Street in Oswego, Illinois. We're going to have our second meeting of JUMP. It's a small group that I started to help support people that are, are getting into serving, looking for ways to serve or are looking to brainstorm different ministry ideas and looking for support. Um, it's open to everybody. You do not have to be a member of Big Life Community Church to uh, to come and see it. Um, we would love to have you. We'd love to have you come in, and we're going to be having a visitor uh, from Hesed House that's going to talk about what they're doing. It's a great uh, organization here in Aurora that helps the homeless population. So they're going to come in and talk about what they're doing, see if we might be able to get involved and help them out. Um, if you want to visit Big Life Community Church, Every Sunday morning, we're one service right now, 9.45 a.m. Come on down. It's 197 East Washington. Come as you are. <laughs> if they let me speak there, guys, don't worry about you. Um, if people tell me that all the time. They're like, do I need to dress up? I'm like, I wear shorts and a T-shirt and uh, usually flip-flops to church. So come on in, man. We would love to have you. You know, God doesn't have a dress code. Get on in. Come on in. Listen to it. Talk to us. We would love to... Uh, help make some connections for you and uh, give you a great church home to be a part of. We're going to going to kind of wrap things up and and head out for the week. I just, you know, wanted to wrap things up with a, a song from my childhood that I love. I still love it. I love this song. I love this band old school, taking it old school, go be a blessing this week. And why can't we be friends?
Money. 